Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast, brought to you by us at So Much Media. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. I'm Lara Samara Sands. This podcast is about relationships and your walk with Jesus. It's about the true stories of Christian men and women's struggles with chastity, sex, marriage, and relationships in a post-Christian culture. episode of the Fishers of Men podcast. I'm super pumped for our <laughs> topic today. Uh, we're here with Rebecca Bratton-Weiss, a blogger and professor at Franciscan University. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more than that, <laughs> Rebecca? Because you're much more Hi, than that. Yes. <laughs> um, so yes, I, I blog at Pathiers and I teach English literature at Franciscan University. I also am editing an arts journal, which I I want to make a plug for writers and essayists to submit to that. And I'm organizing a literary festival in in Pittsburgh along with my partner, Suzanne Lewis. And that's going to be called Revolution of Tenderness, Festival of Friendship. And the literary conference is on the etymology of convivium, convivium being the name of our journal. And What's the next time frame? So, uh, the time frame is the last weekend in September, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Synod Hall in Pittsburgh. And we're going to have one day of a literary conference followed by the Festival of Friendship, and the two are kind of kind of lead into each other in a way. And the festival is free, so everyone come to Pittsburgh. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah, awesome. I honestly am going to look up airline tickets today <laughs> like, as soon as we get off this, yes. <laughs> this conversation. Um, so today, I am so excited to be talking with you about modesty. Modesty. Yeah. Dun, yeah. dun, dun. <laughs> it, summer is upon us here. Oh, yes. You know, mm. well, in LA, it kind of is a year-round I must be absolved of, of the sin of wearing my bikini right. out in public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And your husband wears a Speedo, so it's like, we can get into both of these. <laughs> it's, it's so true. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's a very relevant topic uh, oh, yeah. in our daily lives. Okay. So can we just start off by talking about, as Christians, Catholics, Protestants, do you think that there's a problem with the way that we talk about modesty? Yeah, followed by, like, when we talk about modesty, what are people really talking about? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. 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 I think there's a huge problem, and I think it's that we're not really even talking about modesty at all. We're talking about something else, which is actually kind of toxic, and we're slapping the label modesty on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, there's a – it's funny. If you Google, like, modesty, you're going to come to all of these, like, be modest, modest is hottest, and then you're going to – come to a lot of other people saying oh modesty right. is bad right and my contention is modesty is is a real virtue i mean it's it's taught in the the tradition but what they're talking about today these modesty speakers and uh, modesty texts is is not modesty i mean there's like a a tiny little bit of what they have to say is correct but not much of it so yeah <laughs> historically modesty meant something different from what we talk about now. So are these modesty gurus today making some kind of a startling new discovery that the early church just didn't even know about? Or are they distorting and reducing a traditional idea of of an actual virtue? Mm. So So, how how did it start out in... What were they talking about when they talked about modesty in the early church? Yeah, because I also assume that we're not talking about just clothing. Like, when it comes down to it, it's more of a state of mind. It's more, when you say virtue, it's not defined by if I'm wearing a (laughs) midriff or not. Yeah, Yeah. So, yeah, if you can get a little bit more into, like, contextually what it means, both how it used to mean and then now how we have abused what that term has been for us now. So that would be great. Okay, cool. Yeah, if I had like a, a blackboard, I would I would draw a Venn diagram and I would make <laughs> one little blip, which is the realm of modesty that has to do with females covering their bodies with a certain kind of clothing. And that exists within a larger context, which has to do with 
modesty in sexuality at all. And then that has to do with a larger context, which has to do with modesty per se. And all that people are talking about anymore is, you know, women cover this, women cover that. Obviously, there's huge problems with it. But yeah, before we get to that, going back to the New Testament in the early church, there are injunctions to modesty, and most of them have to do with not dressing in an ostentatious manner. Mm -hmm. Um which actually kind of bothers me because I like dressing in an ostentatious manner. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, over-the-top makeup and just theatrical clothing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking at that, and it says, First Timothy, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. With oh, good that, works. That braided hair, though. Yeah. That braided hair. Really then, gets you into trouble every time. <laughs> I know. Um, so, I mean, if I want to go modesty shaming anyone, I'm going to go find a woman with braids. <laughs> um, oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, when you look at this passage in context, it could look as though Timothy is saying, you know, dress in a, a seemly manner. But that's just aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's got to be more to it than just saying, you know, dress tastefully, Agreed. don't be over the top. Uh, so, you know, why would they be concerned about this? And I think it's about the danger of ostentation, not as an aesthetic flamboyance, which can be theatrical and fine, but instead of uh, this this conceit and lording it over other people, especially when you look at how in the early church you have a group of very diverse people coming together, some of whom are very rich and some of whom are very poor. And there's always this stress on the equality of the members of the body of Christ and a reminder to the rich that they're not any more important than anyone else. So I see this passage as being much more about not flaunting your wealth in a way that ends up manipulating other people Mm. and oppressing other people. And the term that's used for modesty, the the Greek word is cosmios, uh, which you'll recognize as a derivative of cosmos, which Mm -hmm. means universe, but also means order, orderliness. To be cosmios is to be well-arranged and decent. So, again, we have to look at that ordering not in terms of mere aesthetics, because that's not a moral issue, but instead the proper ordering of the body of Christ, which means, you know, Flaunting your wealth in a way to overpower other people is immodest. Uh, your fancy car, your your great job. And so in that respect, the woman who comes in in a beautifully impeccable suit, uh, you have a very country estate style, everything covered, everything tailored, could be more immodest than the poor girl who's wearing cutoffs and a tank top because she's just come from her landscaping job. Interesting. When you say that the people who talk about modesty as what women wear is like the tiny, there's a tiny percent of it that's right. Mm-hmm. What is that tiny yeah. percent? <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at like um, the porn industry, there's a, a perfect case there. Now, women are um, victimized and, and oppressed in the porn industry, but there's also this temptation we have as women to use our bodies to manipulate others. And I think there's an enormous difference between a an artistic representation of the body or you know physical performance in which it can be completely legitimate to wear super tight clothing and um, low cut this or, or even to be completely stark naked and the kind of exposure which you're doing deliberately because you know you're going to manipulate other people. But most of us, when we put on our clothing in the morning, are not going to be like, oh, look, these shorts are so short. The men are going to see my legs. I'm going to manipulate them. Instead, we're thinking it's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there there have only been a couple occasions where uh, we actually did an episode, two episodes back, about our revenge dresses. Oh, Lord. Where (laughs) we each own dresses that we know we can pull out of our closet when we want to, like, take revenge on yeah. a man who has wronged us. Right. <laughs> but we recognize that that is not, not a good thing. Not the most thing. productive thing to do, or 
are the most we know when we're doing it yeah yeah Yeah. women know yeah (laughs) yeah and we know you're not going to just kind of accidentally tumble into like non-intentionally but intentionally leading men to hell through their curves yeah it doesn't work that way (laughs) right (laughs) and so that kind of leads us into this whole like making women the gatekeepers of morality kind of mindset so like how do you react to for example the verse that we shouldn't cause our brother to stumble especially in this in the context of this whole modesty Mm -hmm. conversation Mm -hmm. well i i mean obviously no one should be causing anyone to stumble that's um and in the context of a modesty conversation then i think it becomes relevant in so many other walks of life. You know, are you, are you causing someone to envy you? Are you causing someone Mm, to feel anger and revenge? But, but, you know, in the realm of psychology, at a certain point, you can't really talk about causing yourself to causing other people to do things in that way. That's a danger in the realm of abuse that, you know, the the abuser will say, well, you know, you made me do this. Mm -hmm. So, so we have to think about that theologically without falling into the trap of, of saying, well, you know, this guy looked at you and, and lusted, therefore you made him lust. Or, right. you know, I saw this person has a really fancy horse and I envied them, therefore their fault that I'm guilty of the sin of envy. So, yeah, we're projecting our own vices onto others in cases like that. And there's obviously a historical precedent for doing that to women oh and that's you know it's interesting because i'm talking about the early church as this place of equality but that didn't last very long because very quickly you start getting all of this stuff like you know uh, women are the cause of temptation and by the time you get up to saint thomas aquinas you know are we barely are we even really human mm-hmm. it seems like that that old what's not fundamentally a christian idea at all it's, it's a it comes from pre-Christian societies that patriarchal denigration of women crept back into our tradition very rapidly. So yeah, that's like when we think about not causing someone to stumble, we we don't really mean that we're going to cause them to stumble. We're thinking about how we can be generous to others and how right. can we help create a culture that fosters virtue for everyone. Right. And it's all about intent, like we were talking about. If it's right. my intention to go out and wear a certain piece of clothing, because I know it's going to catch somebody's eye in a way mm-hmm. that either I want them to envy me or I do want right. to be attractive in that way, like that's on me. But if I'm, you know, for all the context of what I understand of the culture, going into the situation appropriately, and that, and then somebody has those feelings, that's not my fault. So right, I, I think right. you do well to say, um, to be, act in a way that is generous to uh, others so that we can promote virtue among everyone. But I think that has been abused in the past, especially when it comes to women. You know, I, I remember mm-hmm. growing up and uh, my pastor's grand uh, daughter used to say that, like, he didn't let her wear red because when the, she was younger, you know, it was like there was this guy that came up to him and said, like, oh, your daughter shouldn't wear red because it's, you know, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. You didn't even grow yeah. up in the South. No. no. <laughs> That's such, grew, like, a I, Southern thing. I, I grew up an independent wow. Baptist, um, <laughs> Argentinian preacher. And hmm. I think later on he realized that that was not the best thing to prevent her from wearing red. But, you know, sort of, sort of those things, it's like, how do you mm. talk to women and how do we raise our, our daughters and our, and our women to value themselves enough to know that they don't have to impress anybody and they don't need to dress right. certain ways to catch a guy's, a man's eye? Well, and I right. think more importantly, how do we teach our sons to have self-control? And that was and the other blame that. for their sin. Exactly. And to know that we're all valued in that way. And then modesty as a virtue goes deeper than just, what am I going to wear today? Because... You know, you go to, like, Africa, and then you have the culture that's, like, everyone's topless. Like, that's, you know, like, culturally speaking, like, that's just what it is. You know, and here, we know, especially in L.A., we have a heightened sense of what is considered the norm, and we know what's, Mm -hmm. you know, that fine line of 
oh, you know she's dressed that way because of this. Yeah. But even then, I feel like we have to be careful in how we judge people. Not speculate. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, sometimes people just dress a certain way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would venture to say that unless a woman is, like, you know, sucking on a, a lollipop, sliding up and down a pole, wearing, like, nothing but a G-string, she's... <laughs> it would be a leap to say that we can presume what her intentions are. Um, right. And even in that case, I don't know, maybe that's her exercise. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we should be very reluctant about saying, oh, well, you dressed that way, therefore you intended yeah. X, Y, and Z. And especially yeah. since we live in such a diverse, multicultural society, so that, you know, we've got women coming from backgrounds where even wearing trousers is considered scandalous. And then other women right. for whom, you know, bikinis are normal. It's what you wear. So I was, teaching women to respect ourselves, I think it's it's less about, you know, respect yourself, put clothes on, and, and more about understanding that we have an intrinsic dignity and we don't need to catch a man in order for that to be real. Yes. And that's a serious problem in religious circles, too, because in religious circles, they say, you know, do this, act this way, dress this way, and you'll get a man and you'll have babies and otherwise your life isn't worth living. Right. And then you get out of that and people are saying, well, you know, dress this way, be sexy, otherwise you're going to be single and you're going to be having no sex and your life is also going to not be worth living. <laughs> you just described accurately my state of life <laughs> i get that i feel like i get those messages constantly <laughs> both telling me yeah. my life is not worth living yeah Aww. it's true <laughs> i think we've all felt that yeah yeah conversation same same topic but when it comes to men can we kind of mm -hmm. hover over that because men are not so much in this conversation the conversation right. is more about how not to make a man stumble but right. there is that side as well so how do we bypass like the superficiality of how we do talk about modesty and how do we apply it across the board for both genders mm -hmm. and you know how do we biblically look at modesty as a virtue for both men and women I think that's so important because the way modesty is spoken of, typically, it's a very gendered virtue, and it really only applies if you're young, female, and hot. After I become a crone, do I no longer have to worry about modesty? Well, if it's just about sex ethics, maybe. Then people will be like, oh, I don't want to see that. Um, right. So it it has to not just be for that small demographic. It has to be for everyone. And right. Well, as far as men are concerned, there's so many different questions that come up. One of them is, are we doing men a favor when we create a culture which makes it very, very easy for them never to see parts of the body that could tempt them? But there's also the other, the other side, which is that we're pretending like women don't have sexual desire. Yeah. And that you know, men are visual and women are relational. And we may be relational. I don't know if you've done a, any research on this. It's really fascinating. The, the question of whether men or women are more visually aroused. Have you, have you read up on that? You know what? I read of a study recently that actually kind of busted that myth a little mm -hmm. bit. And yeah. I can't exactly remember. I think like they showed oh. men and women pictures. Right. I'm just going to stop there because I, I don't remember <laughs> enough to... <laughs> And what's interesting is it kind of confirms why men are under the impression that sending out certain pictures to women will somehow appeal to them. And mm -hmm. women are like, no, I didn't really want to see that. Mm -hmm. And that men are more visually aroused by like images of isolated body parts. And so the, the porn industry really taps into that. So if you've got these select clips of body parts, men are aroused and women are like, yeah, whatever. But other than that, women tend to be more visually aroused across a broader sphere, including even like heterosexual women being aroused by images of homosexual male interaction. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, women, we are, maybe that confirms that we're relational because we're interested in the, the relationship there, but it certainly doesn't mean we're not visual. Right. In both of these cases, then, I would say the answer is not to cover everything up and, you know, don't look each other in the eye. That really grosses me out. Like, I know people who are so modesty obsessed that they think you shouldn't look a woman in the eye. Like, hi, I'm a human being. Yeah, um, I deserve respect and dignity for you to... Yeah, because that's really people. robbing another human of their dignity. dignity. Yeah. <laughs> really, like, when you're looking at them solely as an object that's there put in your path to tempt you. Yeah, right. it's not yeah. doing anyone a service at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like when they compare us to alcoholic beverages. Like, you know, you wouldn't put a, a glass of wine in from front of an alcoholic so you know why would you put a woman in a room with a man oh gosh <laughs> and that's just insulting to everyone yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that makes me feel great um <laughs> well like one thing that i've heard is that as with all virtues it kind of takes practice to build mm-hmm. them up and so if right. we shut ourselves off from any instance that could possibly tempt us then we're not actually building chastity right? or modesty. Right. And I mean, like on, you know, either side of the coin. And so it's like, then when you, for example, like if you go your whole life with that and then suddenly you get married, you still need mm-hmm. chastity in marriage. Right. And so right. it's like, if you have never been equipped or cultivated that virtue, then you're going to be just like, Oh gosh, you know, right. so, like I can't deal with this. Yeah, so there has to be some level of normalization of our sexuality. Maybe yeah. not full out like let's walk around nude yeah. all the time. Yeah, there has to be something that shows as a society that things can be normal in terms of like how we view men, how we view women. Because mm-hmm. if you are blocking each other off from that, like Mary Ashley says, like suddenly if you get married, you're like I don't know what to do with that. And, <laughs> And then there's that flip side of, am I sinning even in my marriage when I feel sexually aroused? Yeah, or even when I have sex with my husband. Yeah, and and I I know we've come across stories like that as well. Yeah. And it's... Not... Yeah, it's not good. (laughs) Part of this podcast was exploring the sexuality that God has given us Mm -hmm. and how do we embrace that, but also walking these lines of chastity and modesty and all of the things, having all the virtues together holistically instead of isolating them especially just women or just married people or just this or just that you know if if god made things to be valuable across the board intrinsically as humans we need to embrace that in all walks of life yeah and and it's just hard to do yeah (laughs) so so can we now i guess get into what's wrong with the way that we talk about models because we talked about the tiny part of it that Mm -hmm. is right yeah (laughs) Um, so it, it seems like part of what's wrong with it is it really gets into those heresies of like the material world is evil Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. and the body is evil Mm -hmm. and everything like that so can you talk a little bit about that yeah we're not gnostics yeah oh yeah we're not gnostics and and thank you for using the word correctly (laughs) (laughs) my my pet peeve for today is stop calling something gnostic just because you don't understand it Um, (laughs) so yeah i think we've been Inherited a really dangerous view of the body, and I think that view of the body as negligible also lends itself to permissiveness in areas of violence. Mm. Like, you know, the body isn't important, so we can torture Torture. for the sake Mm. of whatever. Uh, We can wage all of these wars. It's just bodily harm. Does it really matter if we're doing harm to the body? You know, we have to save souls, which is itself also heretical because we don't save souls, Jesus does. So, yeah, I think our fear of the body means we haven't even been able sufficiently to explore in a phenomenological sense what is entailed in bodily experience and sexual experience. And I feel like John Paul II opened up a really interesting door with theology of the body, which ought to be inviting us into having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And of course he uses his very John Paul II language. So you're like, what's he talking about here? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that for lay persons and for, you know, people who are involved in doing philosophy and sex ethics, we need to be able to use good concrete language. And 
that in itself is considered immodest by people because, you know, you can't talk about these body parts. And if we could do that, then I think we would come to a much clearer understanding of distinctions between, like, for instance, if I look at a naked body and I think, well, that's beautiful. That's not lust. It's not even sexual desire. You know, I can I can see a man and say, well, that's a really good looking man without his clothes on. And that doesn't mean I, I want to do anything with him. And even sexual desire is not the same as lust, because when when you lust over someone, you're reducing them to an object to be used. And so that's an important distinction for marriage. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, of course you're going to sexually desire your spouse. I mean, you should. Yeah. It doesn't always work out that way. But in, And there again, you know, we talk about the unitive function of sex and marriage. And we're like, what does that mean? Well, it means you're having an orgasm together. But we don't <laughs> want to say that. Um, you're think, having an yeah, experience, think, which is so shared. I think John Paul II kind of, he does allude to that, to where you're like, is that uh-huh. what he's talking about? Right, right. <laughs> appropriate for him as a, a celibate male right and so that's the language he uses the language that we're going to use you know kind of boots on the ground may be very very different it's, it's our, our role to flush out what that means and to talk from our own experience oh and that too gets you in trouble because especially if you're a woman talking about a sexual experience then and i've heard people say this that she shouldn't have said that because it was immodest for her to speak of herself as a sexual being because now men will think of her as a sexual being. Like, we are we are sexual beings. And maybe that's what the problem is, that there's a tendency, even in some more secular feminist circles, to say, well, you know, don't sexualize everything. Maybe we need to admit that the, the body is already sexual. Yeah. That's just mm-hmm. reality. But there are many different ways of approaching that. And some of them are wholesome, and some of them are very destructive. I don't know if that's what you wanted me to get at. Once I get on this topic, sometimes I'm like, blah, 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 blah. no, I, 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 I love, I love it. You like, literally I could just sit here and listen to you talk. How for both men and women acknowledging that the body is sexual, that everybody has sexual experiences, that women will be aroused, men will be aroused. How, for ourselves, would you recommend dealing with sexual desire when it's not appropriate? Hmm. That's interesting because um, I, I joke sometimes that I, I am now a matron, and as a matron, you know, I've, I've ex- had all of these experiences and no longer need to shelter my maidenly self. <laughs> um, but, so now I'll go back to trying to remember when I was a teenager. I feel like a lot of times when you first experience sexual desire, you're already at such a confusing time in your life. Your body is changing. You're becoming aware of all these different things. You don't know yet who you are. You have, ideally, you should have many existential questions. And I think that's a terrible time for people to start beating themselves up for having sexual desire. And so you get these these speakers who are like anything in the realm of sexual desire is grave matter. And then some poor 15 year old who's still sorting out sexuality feels like he's in mortal sin because he he looked at a girl and was aroused. And I think we have to just recognize that, that some of that is going to happen. And, you know, you didn't murder someone. You're not Raskolnikov, Uh, you know, (laughs) hitting someone over the head with an ax, but you have to stepping back and away from the object of temptation when the object of temptation is another human being seems to be really kind of counterproductive. And so I feel like education in art and literature is really valuable because this is where, you know, we talk about having a safe space and people joke about that. It's something Christians should take seriously because we recognize danger. We recognize moral danger. Talking about literature as as a literature teacher, gives us this kind of safe space 
for engaging difficult topics about human sexuality and sometimes talking about sex scenes and, and sexual desire in a way that kind of uh, walls it off just a bit from our own immediate experience. We become comfortable talking about it. It's not something we're like, you know, we're pressing and bottling up anymore. And I think that could be very helpful in, in spiritual direction as well. And if, you know, if we had more spiritual directors and confessors who were well-educated in literature and the arts, that would be very useful for everyone. But even, you know, we were able to look at naked bodies and paintings, and it's a way of kind of mediating something that you thought was, you know, tantalizing, terrifying, desirable, gross, this whole mixture of feelings. And part of the role of art is to take that and to transform it and put it into a, a place where you can encounter it meaningfully, but also can step away. I guess I'm making a plug for more English professors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it also sounds to me you're kind of making a plug for Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point uh, that I guess I hadn't really thought about a whole lot yeah well okay. so i am curious like do we need to worry about what we wear yeah is that oh, really yeah, a big a deal question. yeah i mean we're gonna worry about what we wear anyway right unless mm -hmm. i mean unless you go like full-on rose of lima i'm gonna be <laughs> like you know sticking like pins in your head and cutting all your hair off but and then there's also this kind of approach some people have where they say it doesn't matter what you wear. And I don't know how I feel about that because I don't want to judge a person who says that. Like maybe that's their particular vocation is to dress in a slovenly and frumpy manner and still be a representation of Christ. So we, we get past saying, because we, we judge people on clothing all the time. Like you can go into a circle where everyone's, quote unquote modest and you'll still be judging people for their hygiene you know did they touch up their hair dye recently enough mm. you know I can't believe she was wearing that kids wearing pajamas to class drives me crazy um, <laughs> uh, can you not just put on a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt and yet there's two different realms there there's the realm of professional dress and you know can you not just learn to be an adult and survive in the world and then this realm of, of morals. So like when I'm teaching my daughter how to dress, I want to be really careful not to import a moral message that's going to make her feel guilty when all I'm really saying is, look, I'm just giving you the tools to survive in the world. So yeah, we do. We worry about how we dress all the time. Right. Um, and I think there's also different think, contexts for how we dress. Yeah. You know, you talk about, yeah. uh, well, in L.A. particularly, it's like you go to church yeah. and everyone just, you know, you see flip-flops and shorts and whatever. But that's L.A. Right. culture. That's right. fine. You know, you live yeah. in a beach yeah. town. People are walking around with their bikinis under their shirts. You know, <laughs> right. just, Yeah, I, I have a friend who's from Orange County. Yeah. She said a formal day is when you're not wearing your bathing suit under your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so right. we do have to take those things into account. And then when you talk about there's a spiritual component and then there's a trend component because I have never in my life ever considered myself trendy, but, you know, like mm -hmm. putting on, you know, clothes that are not my pajamas is very important to me. So yeah. there's, there's that and there's the appropriateness of like a professional that goes into work and, you know, you've got to right. dress uh, appropriately right. for whatever context that is. Then you come into the spiritual and then it goes back to, I think, intention. It goes back to what am I really trying to convey? Because maybe some people just like on the trend side like maybe people are just unaware too of what mm -hmm. vibe they're they're giving out and i like that you keep saying you know you don't want to judge anybody for like what they feel is appropriate to wear but i think there's also this realm where we just don't know sometimes i think we are ignorant of what right. might be appropriate that's hard to navigate too in, in our in our time which is less important about the trend part but like on the spiritual part mm -hmm we could be more aware and more generous with each other like you said earlier 
it's hard to give like a rule of thumb. Like I don't want to say you have to have shorts that go past a certain <laughs> inch. Yeah. You know? So that's leads me. Yeah, to I my think next all those question. rules are really arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. So that too. that was gonna be my next question. Like, so what do you yeah. say to people who say, well, you're contradicting the magisterium? Because we have a proclamation, for example, Pope Pius the Eleventh from 1930 says you should not wear dresses that are cut deeper than two fingers' breadth under okay. the pit of the throat, and you cannot, you must cover the arms at least to the elbows, and the skirts must reach beyond the knee. And Christian mothers, if you only knew the future distress, peril, and ill-restrained shame that you prepare for your sons and daughters by imprudently accustoming them to live barely clothed and permitting them to lose the sense of modesty, you would be ashamed of yourselves. Are there any rules for men? Yeah, there actually are <laughs> rules for men. Uh, really? What are they? Well, so apparently the Canadian bishops in May of 1946 says, man does not escape from the inclination of exhibiting his flesh. Some go in public <laughs> stripped to the waist or in very tight pants or in very <laughs> scanty bathing suits. Like oh, husband. my husband. Yeah, I love uh, that this is in Canada where it's happening. <laughs> Right. <laughs> because you know if there's a prohibition there has to be a cause for it so mm. maybe yeah. you just had a bunch of canadians walking around in their speedos and that's why they felt the need in the for 40s the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean we we are now in the era where we don't have to listen to popes right like yeah uh, i mean everyone's <laughs> Everyone's like, ooh, you know, we can ignore all these encyclicals from Pope Francis. When they're not so, dogma. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is this a ex cathedra teaching? I, my response would be, well, what about Lotado C and, and see if this person is going to be consistent? Because they usually won't. I mean, I'm actually being serious here, though. I, I yeah. think that one bizarre side benefit of these kind of stupid reactions against Pope Francis has been that it's opened up our awareness of the fact that not everything that every pope has said is magisterially correct, and it might, as as they say, be off the cuff. So I'm just going to ignore that stuff that he said. I just don't think it's important. It's It doesn't seem to be in keeping with the the tradition that's laid down in the Gospels or with a, a wholesome personalism. But yeah, again, we've got that part of it that is correct that if we're trying to use our bodies and our clothing to manipulate other people then that's sinful on our part right because then you're yeah. just you're walking into just more legalism you're if you know you mm -hmm. have rules and regulations that are specific to the inches and this and this then and it's well it's what really disturbs me more about it because it's not just legalism but it's legalism based on culture Right. Yeah, <laughs> which is inherently subjective. Yes, 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 yes. Because imagine if you, like, all of a sudden were snatched away in a time machine and you're dropped down in the year 1812, Jane Austen time, people are going to be absolutely shocked by your, you know, modest mom floral print dress because you're showing so much leg. Right. Well, even showing no. your ankles. So I, oh, ankles, my, yeah. uh -huh. my dad and said mom are civil war reenactors, so I grew up in like the civil war reenacting oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. if you showed your ankles to a man, everybody just assumed right. that you were engaged. Like if, yep. if you were showing your ankles in the company of a man, oh. that yep. was sign enough to everybody that you were engaged. Wow. Well, and in colonial America, oh, if you showed your ears, you were a prostitute. Oh, so, you know, not only can we shame the women with braided hair, we can shame the women who show their ears. Wow. So, yeah, it's really, I think, and it was probably easier in those times because you have such set rules. Like, you know, you can show this much of your bodice depending on when the sun has gone down. But those are also class-based, and that's the, the other issue mm -hmm. I have with them, mm -hmm. is that you've got all of these rules for the upper classes, Meanwhile, what's happening to women in the lower classes, you know, they are being used and violated sexually by the same men who are then going into the drawing rooms and, and kissing the hands of the modestly dressed women. So class-based rules about dress, I'm, I'm always a little wary of. But I think the big issue here is that we're just, we're talking about clothing as though it only exists to cover up dangerous body bits 
that would lead people astray instead of thinking about all of the other reasons why we wear clothing. One being climate. And so that, you know, Mm -hmm. you're talking about LA. You know, when I lived in North Carolina, the clothing that I wore was much more revealing on a regular basis. And then I moved up to Ohio and I was like, oh, wait, we don't show quite so much up here. (laughs) Um, But that's only one aspect. There's also the fact that we cover our bodies in order to express things about ourselves. It's an art. So we're, you know, fashion is a kind of language, and there are many, many things we're saying in that language beyond want me. We're saying, I am a person. We're saying, I am a sprightly person or a dark goth person or an artistic person. You know, I am a cowboy. I am a pirate if you're going into like ostentatious fashion. Mm -hmm. So we draw on the the different fashion trends that come into play reveal a lot about the way we understand the human person. And only some of that is sexual. So like if you look at the different ways women's bodies have been confined and even distorted by fashion, that is like a huge screaming message of patriarchy there. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, women will be crammed into corsets and they're will be bent back and bound Mm. oh the and the flaunting of the male leg which i find fascinating because Mm. for centuries the male leg was an object of desire for women women's legs were covered high heels were invented so men could show their legs off Mm. so that in itself tells you something about the society that male power was considered beautiful oh you know, and I'm not going to complain, honestly, about like a, a shapely male leg. Uh, and when I say that, I don't say that lustfully. I'm just saying, you know, bodies are beautiful yeah. and or and they can be at least. So <laughs> Yeah, not all the time. <laughs> no. But that is the other thing is I think we need fashion that celebrates the human body in its personhood, even if these bodies are not conventionally attractive because it's so awful when we were like, Ooh, I don't want to see that about a human being. Yeah. Like a woman is wearing short shorts and someone says, I didn't want to see that. And yeah, I, I feel like we need to develop like modes of fashion that allow many different body types to express their personhood and the beauty of being a person. And then we'll st- think less about you know is that hot or not and think more about like the unique individual that we're seeing yeah it also seems like there's an element of wearing the right clothing that's appropriate for whatever you're doing at the time Mm -hmm. yeah you know like whatever work you're you happen to be doing or whatever construction right yeah right yeah yeah and that's just that's just pure like pragmatism uh, but that's also, it's funny because the class element comes in there too. So if you're wearing like a workman's coverall, you're going to be judged for having a blue collar job by guys in suits. Yeah. You know, the guys in suits may then get on the internet and like talk about how they're powerful culture warriors. Whereas meanwhile, the, the guy in the coverall could easily beat them up. But <laughs> they're, um, the, the clothing that we wear for work, I think we need to maybe regard that too more in terms of personhood. So we're not judging everyone like, Oh, you're wearing that. You must have that job. I guess I just judged men in suits. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah. I mean, that, that is a really good point about the constant judgments that if we allow them that are always going through our our minds at any given time, you know, but in some cases, this virtue of modesty the things that I'm thinking of, like, you want to wear a dress to church because you think that, mm-hmm. you know, that's the most appropriate thing for that context. But you have a toddler that you have to be, like, mm-hmm. chasing around. Right. Pants yeah. might be the most actual modest yeah. thing to wear mm-hmm. because in a dress you might reveal yourself. So it's, it's kind of like, right. a, you know, I I don't understand, like, like the people who talk a lot about modesty and for a long time I was totally in the like shame, mm. shame place of yeah. blaming myself and, you know, like, Oh, I don't know what to do. Like, I just want to do the right thing, right. you know, but I just don't, I just really don't get the tendency to make a universal proclamation about modesty without mm. considering the 
individual context yeah, and like and all pragmatism. of the shades of gray right. and all, you know. Right. I think it comes from a place of deep-rooted misogyny. Like, mm. and there's a huge difference between. You can see it, like the people who lay down these hard and fast rules, and who post pictures of what they consider to be immodestly dressed women in order to shame them. Oh, and you'll notice, um, I call it modesty porn images of <laughs> modest women. They're always young, thin, and beautiful, and it's basically saying, "Look, men, you can regard this object with desire and not feel guilty about it." Oh, uh, and so she's usually in some kind of like winsome pose with her hair all done she's always white hmm. so i think those images are used to shame women a book that i love is naomi wolf's book the beauty myth which talks about how images of beauty are used to shame women and i think that this is something that happens in religious circles too and i think there's a huge difference between that and well-meaning people who may be a little confused or less than educated and who are saying well you know, we do need to protect our brothers and we do need to be careful. You know, I think those people have a point. Mm -hmm. and, but, and I think that's very different from those who say, oh, this woman was wearing shorts. She obviously is spawn of the devil. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm hyperbolizing a bit. Oh, no, I have a friend that was, <laughs> she wore sh shorts to church and someone came up to her and said, you're going oh. to hell. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. In L.A.? In L.A., yeah, in Santa Monica. Wow. In Santa Monica? In Santa Monica, <laughs> yeah, which is a beach town. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, but That's then... Nuts. But then luckily, like, the priest there is really good. And so she said, am yeah. I going to hell? And he was like, no. And she was like a teenager, you yeah, know. And she was horrible. also, like, this was, like, one of the first times she was, like, trying to get active in her church. And she was like, okay, I'm going to take my oh. faith seriously. Oh, gosh. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And this woman was like, just so you know, you're going to hell. Oh, because you wore shorts in church. Yeah. Okay. I so want to say that about this. Um, this is actually, I keep running into this all the time. I, because I, I talk to a lot of young women who are like horrified because older men have approached them and informed them that they're modestly dressed. And oh, the line that I keep hearing is, I'm a happily married man and I want to stay that way. Like, oh that's somehow geez. a 20 year old girl's job is to keep this man happily married. Like, if, if he's lusting after someone half his age, this is his problem and he needs to go to confession. And I think and maybe not anyone who approaches another person and calls them out on their supposed immodesty is being immodest. Oh, that is an yeah. immodest thing to do. Yeah. And I think That's if you see point. a stripper or a prostitute, you also have no business calling them out on immodesty because when you reach that point when you're like dressing deliberately to provoke lust, it's usually because you're in a pretty dark place. Mm -hmm. And you desperately want love or you want yeah, someone to look at you or you want revenge. And the last thing you need is some pious church person coming up and shaking their finger at you. So, yeah, I'm going to call out the modesty call-outers here. <laughs> yes, please. Well, we, we did spend a lot of time about clothing because naturally that is yeah. where you go. When you talk about modesty, that is naturally where uh, yes. the conversation steers. So in our last few minutes here... Can we maybe talk about what we were talking about earlier, just like in the spiritual realm as, as modesty is a virtue, like how do we yes. practice that in a pragmatic way in our daily lives, in our, you know, in our prayer life, in our just interactions with one another in, because it's our podcast, uh, <laughs> dating, uh, I mean, yeah. even, yeah. even in marriage. You're going to, even though you're married, you're still going to see people and you're still going to oh, yeah. think people are attractive. That doesn't mean that you are sexually attracted to them right and even if you were it doesn't mean that you're going to act on them and certainly not going to approach right. that person and say hey i'm going to stumble and i want to stay married so you right. better cover up like certainly maybe don't talk to people um but can we um kind of land in that area as we close up just how how do we yeah. do that how do we even go about it yeah we we touched earlier on about this the heresy of thinking that we're going to save souls right and I think that's important because when we start thinking that way, we think that we're able to control other people. Mm. And I think that's really dangerous. Even this idea, well, I have power, so I'm going to use it for the good. Mm. I think that's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, I'm going to manipulate men towards virtue. That's not the way it works. 
Are you are you all Narnia fans? Yeah. Oh yeah. I love how whenever in the Narnia books, one of the children starts being like, "Well, what about so and so? What did he do?" Aslan's like, "That's his story, child." And mm-hmm. I think if we would remember that each of these people has a story, and God has that story in hand, we would be a lot less eager to try to manipulate people and also a lot more respectful of the fact that you don't get to just plug a person into your fantasy and use them because you're bored or, you know, you're discontented with your spouse or, you know, any of the reasons why you might start acting inappropriately on a, a, a moment of sexual desire that in itself is just kind of natural. So personalism really would be huge, like recognizing the unique value and dignity of the person and seeing that there's a beauty there and it's a beauty that you you can't just grab hold of and try to possess you have to let them be themselves so that could help both with the desire to shame people and it could also help with our temptation to lust after others or try to get them to lust after us or or manipulate people in the workplace any of those things Theoretically, it could help. I mean, we need we need Jesus too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I feel appropriate to say to to quote Joshua Harris because we're going to interview him in in a couple months. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I remember yeah. in one of his books, he said there's a difference between dressing to attract and addressing attractively. So mm. it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's all about the intent. Yeah. It is all about yeah. that. So, but there's still. I mean, it's still hard because it's like when I go on a date, I'm like. Mm. How cute of a cute dress can I put on? <laughs> you know, I still, I still think right. that there's a difference, though. I mean, you're not going. I think it was Aquinas. Actually. So I read Aquinas like when I was in grad school, and he was like, "It's permissible for young ladies to wear makeup if they're attracting a <laughs> husband. If they're what? If they're, if, what? if they're trying to attract a husband. Otherwise, it's like not okay for women to adorn themselves. Oh, and so this is oh, hard goodness. for the married women. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I mean, I uh, don't don't exactly quote me on that. I but I that's what uh-huh. I remember from reading Aquinas, and I was like, oh, okay, but what? Like, so <laughs> I'm I'm allowed to be cute only as like a the way that a peacock is like showing its feathers. <laughs> well, I mean, unless that you seems can, like the worst approach. Yeah, uh, unless you can point to a Bible verse that supports that, I would say you're probably free from adhering to that yeah, rule, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, but... we should think more about, uh, not about like, uh, how are, how am I affecting this person? Because we can't know how we're going to affect a person. Like, you know, I'll, I wear almost only black, and for all I know, that's like triggering someone who had a really bad experience with someone who dressed in in only black. I don't know. <laughs> but instead, thinking about, you know, what what's the story you want to tell with your clothing, and is the story you want to tell, I am sexual meat, please eat me. Or the story you want to tell, I am a complicated individual on a long journey in pursuit of truth and justice. Mm-hmm. And how you dress along that journey may vary depending on how you are. But even yeah. the context that you were asking about, like just going on a date and wanting to dress nicely, I don't think that there's anything wrong mm-hmm. with that. Well, but no, I think no, the more important question, so uh, to your point, Rebecca, I think the more important question rather, because I, I find myself asking like, oh, like, how cute can I be? Like, I can be cute, but not too cute. Yeah. It is more like, well, what is going to make me feel really confident right. and good? And you like know? yourself, because, you yeah, know. and like myself. There exactly. may be, someone may say, oh, well, you know, this is your color for you, wear this, and you're like, that's not me. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I realize that what we just said maybe sounds super girly, but I think <laughs> it's actually profoundly aesthetic. <laughs> No, I hear my children coming back to the house. This could be bad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, do you have any uh, final thoughts then on this subject in uh, general? Uh, well, well, I guess, like, so what, because I do still have this one burning question of, because mm. uh, I have some good guy friends, and, you uh-huh. know, they're like, well, you know, it ultimately doesn't really matter to me what you wear, but you can help right. me by dressing modestly. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm really glad that none of my guy friends ever said that to me. 
and now it may be the age I'm at right now that I like in my early 40s and my male friends are around my age and you know they've, they've kind of we've all seen it all <laughs> it's not an issue anymore um, it's more I guess it comes back to generosity like you don't owe them that because they need to reach a point at which they're not going to to just see you as an object but as they are reaching that point it can be kind to help them it's like you know I have I have several friends who are former alcoholics and there's nothing wrong with my drinking at all I mean except for when I drink in excess not to do that um I'm not a writer or anything um but you know it is an act of kindness you know not to be just wigging wine in front of them but that doesn't mean that the position they're in is is like normal um and I think that the position that men are in when they can't be around a woman in a short skirt is not normal either. And that may just be because of original sin. So maybe we always have to deal with that. But again, it's like, I think we get into this position of assuming that it's totally fine and acceptable for guys to have like this hair trigger lust response. Mm -hmm. And it, and it isn't, I know plenty of men who have gotten past that point. And I think, you know, Oh, I've gone with my, I, I've performed as a belly dancer before and several of my friends are belly dancers and we've gone to performances. My husband and my friend's husband have sat there quite happily with belly dancing women all around them. And what they were mostly doing was drinking wine and talking about martial arts. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, uh, actually a sign of mature healthy male sexuality but you don't get there right away like being yeah. a teenager is hard and being a teenager can extend for a long time so so yeah generosity along the way yeah, yeah. And, um i i just looked up this verse because it, it came to my mind but philippians 2 3 says do nothing from selfish mm. ambition or conceits but in humility count others more mm. significant than yourselves because i think i mean it isn't your responsibility you know none of us it's our responsibility yeah. to keep the other person in check but if we are trying to help one another mm -hmm. I mean that is that is a line you have to discern for yourself and, and all of that but I think generally speaking that is a good verse to point to like how am I helping you and yeah. maybe you're not going to know yeah. all the intricacies of that and <laughs> you know if that person has a problem that's that's their issue but mm -hmm. if we can keep that in mind I think that will be more helpful than just saying this many inches or this piece of, you know, you have right. to cover up this yeah. body right. part. And, and feeling um, really bad about ourselves. Yeah, and an understanding of the cultural yeah. context and, and that things are appropriate in different environments and in, in different yeah. work yeah. environments and different towns even, like beach towns versus oh, know, yeah. inner city. And it's, so. it's a good message too for men, I think, that the message that like, hey, you don't have to only exist in that space where you're just like constantly right. bombarded with less fulfillment. Like, like you can mm -hmm. get help with that. And, and There's, there's more to life than this yeah. thing, man. Yeah. yeah. Just like there's more to life being a woman than just having to like kind of cower down. But, mm. oh, alright, if there's one final thing, I... I don't want to risk being so sex positive that I'm ignoring the fact that sexuality can be dangerous and violent mm -hmm. and weird. And, um, you know, because of original sin, we're not going to just all magically arrive at a place which we can, um, you know, walk around gyrating nakedly and not experience the bad destructive desire for each other. So mm -hmm. like, I, I want to avoid going to that naive place right yeah and that's something I uh that's that was a hard lesson for me to learn sometimes when I've been alone <laughs> in foreign countries and I just wanted to like dance oh. on the dance floor and yeah I ended up having to literally fight my way out of situations right. like literally throw right. punches oh my god yeah I wish I was there for you yeah I know <laughs> that would have been fun or not I don't know uh, it wasn't that fun <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so it's like, you can't go to the opposite end of the spectrum and just be like, I'm going to do whatever the F I want. And right, right, right. Yeah, because yeah. you're, you're, that's, that's binding you on either extreme. Like yeah. either you're bound mm -hmm. to legalism, or you're bound to a freedom that is this anarchy. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, that is also not that freedom just isn't ever going to be possible. Yeah, in it's not, this life. Yeah, it's I, it not would be really great freedom. if it could be. But yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. That, that is the book before us that we can walk around naked and it be not a thing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah, naked <laughs> without shame. That's the whole. <laughs> oh, this right. heat, I wish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, um, on that note. On that note. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rebecca Bratton Weiss, blogger at Suspended in Her Jar, and now one of the editors of uh, the new journal Convivium, uh, which is a hint, hint to our listeners looking for submissions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. also organizer of the Festival of Friendship and Revolution of Tenderness in Pittsburgh uh, last weekend in September. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, look it up at yeah. revolutionoftenderness.net. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us thank today. Thank you. It's been great. I've loved talking to you both. Oh, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast. This has been another episode of Fishers of Men. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email us at fishersofmenpodcast at gmail.com or find us on our website at fishersofmenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook under Fishers of Men. Follow us on Twitter at at LA Gone Fishing or on Instagram at Fishers of Men Podcast. There is an underscore after each word. Please also remember to rate and make comments on iTunes if you feel so inclined. It's really important so that other people can discover our podcast. I'm Lars Sanders Sams. I'm Mary Ashley Burton. Until next time.